passage for this morning and the text for the message is in the fifth chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, verses 12 through 16. The title of the message this morning is Shadows. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, thus no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. Let us pray. Testament Church. It was not an easy time for them. It was a time of persecution. It was a time of hatred. It was a time when the religious authorities and the military and civil authority of Rome would like to be through with all the Christians. But they continue to show up. And instead of hiding away in a cave somewhere, instead of meeting on the back streets, instead of pretending like they weren't around, they met in one of the most conspicuous places in Jerusalem, in the outer precincts of the temple itself. They gathered on Solomon's porch. That's a beautiful place even today. The ancient stones that are there now surrounding the Mosque of the Golden Dome that has been there for 1,200 years, built over the site of the ancient temple on Mount Moriah. In the midst of what is there today, we can imagine something of the beauty and the glory of what it must have been like during that time of the temple. And so in Solomon's porch they come. And there in the midst of Solomon's porch where all of the Jewish people pass back and forth, not just for purposes of worship, but to pick up the gossip of the day, to meet and transact business, to carry on even under the very eye of the Roman authorities and the soldiers standing on the walls that surrounded the ancient temple, looking into the midst of it. It was there that those who would plot insurrection came 
And so it's a very, very busy place. There at Solomon's porch, the early church gathers. They sing the early hymns of praise. They speak to the passers-by of the wonder of the Messiah who has come in Jesus of Nazareth. They witness face-to-face and one-to-one. And the Bible tells us in the passage that we have shared that great multitudes were added to the Lord, both of men and of women. And then that interesting and singular little verse that says, and knowing what would happen, having seen the miracles that had already taken place, there were those who wanted others to have the benefit of what was going on. And so they brought the sick, people who could not walk on beds and on couches, they brought their friends and put them at Solomon's porch so that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a man with such spiritual power that even his shadow would bring a blessing? Can you imagine the dynamism of a man being so powerful that somehow if you were fortunate enough that even his shadow would touch you, that it would bring a blessing and a moment of help. But that is the testimony of the book to the power of this man Peter. He cast a shadow for good. Shadows. How many shadows have touched your lives? The shadows of others. The lives of others that have touched your life. I think of the shadows in my own life of a godly father and a godly Christian mother. now in their early 80s continue to cast a good shadow over my life. I think of the shadow of a man by the name of Floyd Thorne, a preacher out of the midst of Arkansas who came to Texas and was the pastor of the church I grew up in. And I seldom read a passage of Scripture 
that I do not hear the way he read that scripture from the pulpit. A good shadow. And though he has been in heaven a long time, his good shadow still blesses my life. Oh, I think of so many shadows. Shadows of good. Of good people. Of good people who have loved me and prayed for me. And who have been concerned about me and my life and my ministry. And their lives have been like good shadows that continue the blessing. I'm grateful as we gather in this sanctuary, this auditorium for the purpose of the worship of God, that we gather here under the benevolent shadow of the lives of some men and women who have gone before. Preachers in this pulpit who have been glorious in the proclamation of the gospel and their good shadows continue to bless. For those who have exercised their skills in the art and the wonder and the majesty of music and who have thrilled and challenged and blessed us, I think of the lives of Sunday school teachers who because of the giving of themselves daily to the studying and the understanding of the glories of the Word of God and standing before a class, whether a big class or a little class, faithful in the delivery of the message of God to lives, have cast shadows of good that have touched you and me and continue to touch you and me. But I think about some shadows that are longer even than these. I think this morning about the shadows of men and women who now long dead as far as the flesh is concerned, long gone, living generations, even centuries ago, loved Jesus so much and loved the souls of men and women and boys and girls they knew they would never see their face but loved our souls so much that they gave sacrificially so that missionaries would go forth, so that missionaries would go out, paying the price of the personal sacrifice so that Jesus might be proclaimed. There was a time when this vast continent was inhabited by just a few folks. And when the colonies of Europe, the colonialists of Europe, came across the Atlantic and set up their first little feeble colonies along the Atlantic coast, there was the desire, even at that point, that those who lived in the pioneer wilderness areas further west might also know about Jesus. And so the early pioneer preachers went out. They went into the mountains of the Appalachians and across the great smoky mountains and they came. And there was a time when all we had around here was a tiny little village 
with a little, a little wooden fence around it, and it was called Nashboro. But somewhere back over in the more civilized east, there were those who said they must hear the gospel over there. There along the edge of the Cumberland River, they must hear the gospel. And so the farmers and the planters and the business people of the eastern seaboard gathered as we are gathered today. And they said the people out on the wilderness fringe need to hear about Jesus. How are they going to hear if the missionaries don't go? How are the missionaries going to go if we don't send them? And so they gave of their crops and they gave of their business know-how and they gave of their sons and their daughters and the story came to the Cumberland River. And the only reason why we've gathered as a congregation of believers in this place today is because somebody back there whose faces we've never seen, whose names we've never heard, gave so that the story could be told. So you see, what we're involved in today, what we're engaged in today, in this special day of our emphasis upon missions, upon foreign missions, upon home missions, upon state missions, upon our concern for little boys and little girls who need a place to grow up that's decent, who need food to eat and clothes to wear and to get an education, but more than all of these, to know the warmth of Christian love and Christian care and concern. We've gathered today in the interest of not becoming the end of a pipeline, but rather becoming a pipeline that continues to tell the story wherever the story needs to be told. The people who came through Solomon's porch in that early Jerusalem were blessed, were blessed by having even the shadow of Peter fall across them. And so there are countless millions, even billions of people on the face of this earth today who need the blessing that our shadows can bring to them. We as Americans have exported everything in the whole wide world, often to the detriment of the world. Often where white man has gone, we have spread the scourge of syphilis and gonorrhea and those terrible venereal diseases that have wiped out whole tribes of people on Asiatic and in Pacific islands. Often we have exported our armaments that have made it possible for people to kill each other. Often we have exported our technical and our mechanical and our scientific know-how it has not elevated or blessed people. But thank God we have also been a people willing to export the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to share with you some, some facts. Sometimes we forget who we are and what we are and how important we are in the kingdom of God. Now, that's not a false pride. I think that's taking an honest look at what God has done with a people called Southern Baptists, a people now 
comprising somehow in the makeup of something like 35,000 independent churches. No one church able to tell another church what to do. No denominational board or agency able to tell a single congregation how it must live or what it must do. This whole matter of the Southern Baptist Church, the churches, and our Southern Baptist Convention is a modern miracle. And the fact that we hold together and that we work together and that we have caught the vision together and that we do the job for Jesus Christ without some tight kind of a hierarchy. But the secret behind that is because as a Baptist people, we have sought to stay in the midst of this word. When we follow the pattern that is set for us in this word, we'll always be all right. I want to talk about Southern Baptist. I want to talk about how many missionaries you have out yonder. I want to talk about where those missionaries have come from and how those missionaries are there because I think these things are extremely important to us. I'm talking about shadows. I'm talking about the shadows that we cast even now. And I glory to God as I look at the sacrificial giving of this congregation. I think of the size of the cooperative program gift by the way, let me point out and let me nail it down and emphasize it. You never give one penny to the cooperative program. You only give through the cooperative program to the cause of missions all around the world. The Southern Baptist Convention came into existence for one purpose, and that purpose was to have missionaries. That's the only reason we got together back there. That's the only reason we formed a convention back there was so that we might first create a foreign mission board. We went the board route rather than the society route as our Northern Baptist friends had done. We went the board route so that every single local congregation would have as much say in the operation of it as any other local single congregation. And so the Southern Baptist Convention was organized that we might create a foreign mission board and a domestic mission board, now called Home Mission Board. So Baptist, the Baptist Convention, the Southern Baptist Convention, exists for one purpose, and that is that we might be a missionary people. For you see, a long time ago, they knew and they understood that the gospel was not enough it was not enough to limit it to where they happened to live or where they happened to preach or where they happened to sing. That the gospel was meant for everybody, everywhere. And you and I know that lesson. We know the truth and the glory of that. The gospel is not meant just for Two Rivers Baptist Church. The gospel was not given to us just that we might talk to each other about it or that we might sing to each other about it. The gospel is not to be limited to Nashville. The gospel is not to be limited to Tennessee. The gospel is not to be limited to these blessed United States. But the gospel is true around the world. And Jesus came that all people everywhere might know the love of his Father. Well, how are we doing? What kind of job are we doing? I'm delighted to report to you this morning 
that we're right at the very edge of 2,800 foreign missionaries. 2,800 foreign missionaries. You say, well, so what? Well, the so what is that that happens to be the largest number of missionaries ever fielded in one time in all the history of Christianity by one people. Thank God. We are today serving in 92 countries. That means that because of your sacrificial giving, that means because of the wisdom in ever-increasing amounts that you give through the cooperative program to mission cause, it means that with every tick of the clock, every minute of every day, you, Two Rivers Baptist Church, you are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to somebody somewhere. That as services are being held, as the preaching goes on, as witnessing goes on in schools and in seminaries and in hospitals and in clinics and every way that the gospel is being shared and proclaimed, it means that with every single tick of the clock, somebody is hearing about Jesus because of you. Over the face of the earth today, outside continental United States, we have in excess of 20,000 mission churches and preaching stations. 20,000. 20,000 places where our missionaries are telling about Jesus. 20,000 places where we're training the nationals to tell in their own language the story of Jesus. 20,000 places. But even as wonderful as that is, and as marvelous as that is, I rejoice in even a greater fact. And that is that over the course of the history of our Southern Baptist mission involvement, a big and a marvelous involvement, that there have been, I suppose, 50 to 60,000 churches and missions and preaching stations that have become self-sustaining independent Baptist churches part of the national conventions that have formed. You see, one of the major tasks of our missionary is to work himself out of a job. That's really what a missionary wants to do. A missionary wants to go into a place and proclaim the gospel and bring the people together believing in Christ, forming a New Testament church and having national leadership trained. That's the reason we have colleges and academies and high schools and, and universities in our Baptist mission field. And that's the reason why we have seminaries scattered all over the world in operation by Southern Baptist, by our foreign mission board. It is so that we can train up the national indigenous pastor and the leadership in the churches so that then the missionary himself is not needed there anymore, he pulls back and goes to a new place. So the missionary is constantly working himself out of a job in any given place. So across the years, we have had 50, 60, 70,000 churches and preaching stations where our missionaries have labored, but work has progressed. Now our church is there, moving in the name of Jesus. Does your investment dollar pay off? Anybody who's got any sense in business has to consider the cost, has to consider what he invests, 
in the manufacturing of his product, what it cost him to distribute that product and to sell that product, and then he comes down to the bottom line to see whether he's got any profit or not. Well, what's the profit? What's the net contribution line when it comes down to our mission effort and our mission endeavor? Well, let me share just one. I think this is the most important one. That in the foreign mission year just closed, your foreign missionaries in 92 countries, one to Jesus Christ and baptized 98,500 plus people. Almost 100,000 people last year baptized. Now, a great many more than that were won to faith in Jesus by our missionaries. But you see, the mission field operates a little bit differently from us. Often an individual must be a part of a fellowship because the climate is so different, the culture is so different, the understanding is so different. It is so strange that often an individual coming with a profession of faith might wait up six months or a year or two years before finally arriving at the point and the place and the time of being ready to follow the example of his Lord in baptism. See, it's a little different situation out there. We've got a great group of missionaries, as fine a group of people as you'll find anywhere on the face of the earth. Why, if we could get them all home at one time, that would be a tragedy, to tell you the truth. But, but somehow, if we could bring them all home at one time and line them up somewhere, 2,800 of them and all of their wives and all of their husbands and all of their kids, line them up and put them across some enormous place and we sit back and take a look at them, we'd say, thank God for such a marvelous host of people who've heard the call of God, who've surrendered to the call of God, who've trained themselves to go where God said go and to learn new languages and to learn how to live in new cultures and to learn how to be a different people for one reason, to tell other people about Jesus. And we think it's so hard to talk to the fellow next door about Jesus Think about your missionary who has to learn another language in order to talk to his next-door neighbor. We need to be grateful for these missionaries, a fine group of people. I've been fortunate and blessed of God. I've visited, I suppose, 22, 3, 4, 5 of these 92 mission fields around the world. I've talked with our missionaries. I have eaten at the table. I have prayed with them. I have seen these missionaries often so very lonely. A couple out there, off in North Brazil, isolated and separated and never hearing English spoken. And I've been in other places along the east coast of Africa and South Africa and down in southern Brazil, and I've met with the mission groups as they've come in for the times of Bible study and prayer and the fellowship that comes. There are a lonely bunch of folks out there often. How God whips me. How God whips me every once in a while. And I'll pick up a list of missionaries and I'll look over that list and it'll suddenly dawn on me, well, hey, here's a friend of mine and I haven't prayed for him. I guess it's been six months, and I haven't prayed for him. 
And I pause right there and say, God, forgive me. If you can bless somebody retroactively, Lord, do it. <laughs> Go back and bless him. You say, well, I don't know anybody personally out there. Well, in the means of your prayer life, you can get to know a lot of folks. Let me encourage you. Not only on this day when the goal of this church is the giving of $25,000 to reach out around the world and to tell a world, a world that needs Jesus and needs to know about Jesus, let me encourage you to get to know at least the names of your missionaries. I have never ever seen a list of needs to come from any single mission field but that the very first thing on the list is pray for us. Pray for us. More than our money, they need our prayers. More than our money, they need our understanding. Can I be brutally honest and frank? We're a pretty ignorant bunch when it really comes to all that we're doing on the face of the earth, the kind of missionaries we have out there, who they are, what they're doing, what they're going through. And we're satisfied day in and day out to go our merry way, never taking time to find out more of what our missionaries are doing around the world. We have 2,800 of them. How much does it cost to operate all that? Anybody venture a guess? I'm speaking now just of foreign missions, not home missions. I'll touch that in a minute in the next hour. Southern Baptist currently invest $100 million in our foreign mission enterprise. About half of that flows through foreign missions, through the pipeline of our cooperative program. The other half, the other half must be given by those of us who love the Lord Jesus in this one short, Christmas season at the time that we call our Lottie Moon Christmas offering for foreign missions. Our national goal this year is $48 million. Two River Baptist Church goal for foreign missions is 12500 half of the $25,000 goal for missions in the special offering. I want you to think about it. I want you to think about $12,500 to be distributed to the needs of missionaries, 2,800 strong in 92 countries in the face of an annual need of $100 million. If you bought a 
little Japanese car in the last year. You paid two or three hundred dollars more for it than you would have paid the previous year. Why? Two major reasons. One is that terrible monster inflation. And the other is the devaluation of the dollar all around the world. As the Japanese yen increases in value against the value of the American dollar, as the American dollar loses value in Switzerland or in Germany or any other place on the face of the earth, it means that the mission dollar, squeezed on one hand by inflation, and in many of these countries the inflation rate is up to 30 and 32 percent, and squeezed, on the other hand, by the devaluation of the dollar. It simply means that when we get so proud of ourselves, even in the giving of a hundred million dollars over a year's time to foreign mission enterprise, that by the time it reaches the mission field, it is already shrunk to about 75 million. Our task is glorious. And our task is big. The home mission effort. We have 2,500 home missionaries who speak the language. Do you know that in the United States that there are groups of people ranging from hundreds to thousands who do not speak English? who, having come to this continent, live in certain sections of our country or certain sections of the cities of our country who continue to speak their old language, and there's something like 40 national language groups in the United States who do not speak English. How are they going to hear the gospel then if somebody does not speak to them in the language of their heart? And so home missionaries... I hear people ask all the time, why do we need home missionaries in America? It's simply because we have millions of people in America who have never heard about Jesus. We have a responsibility to tell the story. A few weeks ago, I was in Alaska, and I saw there firsthand how the investment of your money, mission money and mine, in the state of Alaska through the Home Mission Board as the whole mission board plows about a half a million dollars a year into the spreading of the gospel through the mission efforts there in that state of Alaska. Ours is a big job. Ours is a big task. The population is growing at a phenomenal rate. We have committed ourselves as Southern Baptists to the task of telling everybody on the face of the earth about Jesus by the year 2000. The population people tell us that by the year 2000, there will be 6 billion people on the face of the earth. How are we going to reach that many people? How are we going to tell the story of Jesus in all of their languages? How is it going to be done? We'll do it under the banner of Bold Mission Thrust, I believe with all my heart. It's going to be done. It'll be done because congregations just like Two Rivers Baptist Church and individual Christians are going to respond to the challenge to quit tipping God and to get serious and sacrificial about this matter.
serious about this matter. Two nights ago, the President of the United States asked for time on television to bring an announcement. And the announcement was that for the first time in a quarter of a century, full diplomatic relations, relationships were going to be established again with the people of mainland China. I have great mixed feelings about that because I have been to Taiwan several times and have learned to love those people and know something of the crisis that this decision creates for them. But as I heard our president make that announcement two nights ago, in this, the Lottie Moon Christmas season time, for Southern Baptists, the mission offering for foreign missions, I could not help but say, God, you're doing it again. For the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, this annual offering of Southern Baptists is named for this gallant little lady, Miss Lottie Moon, who gave her life literally, who literally starved to death being a missionary to China. She was on her way home, and she died aboard the ship in Yokohama Harbor. Coincidence? Oh, now listen. I don't believe for a minute that the establishment of diplomatic relationship with mainland China is suddenly going to open up the all of the bamboo curtain so that our missionaries can move into mainland China. No, I don't think that'll come about quickly. But I do know that God is at work. A Baptist preacher, a black Baptist preacher, who happens to be the president of the Republic of Liberia in West Africa. He was formerly president of our Baptist World Alliance. This black Baptist preacher made a visit to Peking, an official state visit, a few weeks ago. And he said to his Chinese host, his communist Chinese host, his atheistic communist Chinese host, who deny the presence of Christians in China, whose acts literally had destroyed Christian missionaries and closed churches. The president of Liberia, a Baptist preacher, said to his atheistic communist host, I want to meet and to worship with my fellow Christians. And they rounded up some Chinese Christians. You say, so what? I say it could not have happened 
two years ago or five years ago or ten years ago, we see the first beginnings of something that is beginning to happen. Now listen to me. It all relates to the Scripture. They brought the sick so that even the shadow of Peter falling upon them that they might be blessed. Listen to me. We have an opportunity today as we have never ever had before that our shadows will go out and reach out all over the world. That your shadow as an individual Christian can reach out and go all over the world. That the shadow of this church can touch every continent even through the bamboo curtain of China itself. It is a day. It's a new day. God help us and God forgive us if in the enlightenment of a new day, in the opportunity of a new day, we become so cheap and so stingy and so hold-backish in what we do, refusing to sacrifice, that we give so little that the missionary tide cannot run and that we do not then move through the doors that God opens for us. This is a day of commitment, not merely to the giving of $25,000 on the part of this church, 50% of it to go to world missions, 30% of it to go to home missions, 15% of it here in the state to the various state mission opportunities, 5% out to the children's home. Think about $25,000. Why? It needs to multiply so that our shadows will go to every continent. We must seize the opportunity. You say, well, we don't have much more than that. Let me give you some figures. You might want to write some of these down. These figures are not quite a year old. Well, they've probably increased a little bit since then. But they were accurate a little less than a year ago. Anybody like to venture a guess as to how much Americans spent on looking like a cow last year? on chewing gum. Anybody guess? Well, we Americans spent $304 million on chewing gum. I guess I've stepped on a thousand dollars worth of it somewhere. <laughs> you know how much Americans spent being smelly and polluting the air and helping to contribute to their own lung cancer? And as the scientists say, for the folks who smoke contributing to others because when we get it secondhand, it's just about as bad as getting it firsthand, maybe worse, a little dirtier. You know how much Americans spent on tobacco last year? Five billion dollars. Five billion dollars. 
I'm, I'm giving you some figures. I'd, I'd like for you somehow to begin to translate these things. Some of these I hope that you can translate. Some of these I hope you cannot and will not. But I'd like for you to think about what you spent on this yourself last year and then put that alongside what you're planning to do today in the matter of creating a shadow reaching around the world to reach four billion people for Jesus. We spent five billion dollars. No, we didn't. A lot of folks did. Five billion dollars for tobacco. Well, rot gut, liquor, the social drink, the beer, for alcoholic drinks, America spent $1,500,000,000. I don't know what the figure would be this year. I'm anxious to find out. Somebody that's in the advertising field. Three years ago, I got the figure that the liquor industry, the distillers of America, had signed contracts to spend $44 million dollars for advertising just in the Christmas season. $44 million to advertise liquor just in the Christmas season. When you consider that figure against us, the Southern Baptists, trying to raise $48 million for the cause of foreign missions in that time, you see what that does to us. Well, how about greeting cards? We like to get greeting cards, and we like to send greeting cards. But do you know how much we as Americans... dollars for ballpoint pens. My, one of my kids heard me give that figure when I was talking about this and said, isn't that something? And said, you could write with all of them, Dad, and nobody could read it. $3,144,000,000. Well, I like this one. How much the ladies, I, I guess it was all ladies, spent for lipstick? $75 million for lipstick. Well, I'm not going to fuss about that. Don't you get me wrong now. I fuss about some of these others. Shampoo. $146 million for shampoo last year. John? <laughs> now you see normally uh, what I've been doing for this two or three months I've been preaching a different sermon in the morning uh, in the nine o'clock in this 1030 service I, I brought this same message this morning in the uh, in the nine o'clock or essentially the same uh, and I just wonder if John happens to remember how much we spent on uh dog food and cat food. Now, not scraps from the table, but dog food and cat food. 
No, I'm not going to put John on the spot there. Uh, I'm going to put Jim on the spot. He was in there. <laughs> All right. $325 million we spent to feed our dogs and cats. And do you know last year the total amount that all evangelical Protestant people spent on the foreign mission enterprise? We spent about one half of what we spent on chewing gum, or $150 million. About half of what we spent on chewing gum. There is a world out there that needs to know about Jesus. There is a world out there that needs the blessing that our shadows can bring to them if we'll let our shadows get long enough. I do not know what you are planning to give today toward this goal of $25,000 here, half of which will go to the world needs in, through our foreign mission board in an effort to reach our nationwide goal of $48 million. But I want to suggest to you that you take whatever you are planning to give and measure it alongside what you have spent for chewing gum or for cigarettes or for lipstick or to feed your dog or to feed your cat for the year. Measure it alongside what you're going to give your husband or your wife or the kids. Measure it alongside what you have spent for Christmas cards and for postage. Measure what you are going to give to Jesus on his birthday alongside these things and see how long your shadow is for Jesus. They'll not believe unless they hear, and they cannot hear unless we send the preachers and the missionaries to tell them, and we can't send them if we spend our resources in the things that fritter away our lives and we do not sacrifice for Jesus. The plea and the challenge of this moment is that you re-examine the length of your shadow. How many lives will your giving touch? How far will your shadow go? Will it reach the multitudes who will rejoice in Jesus? It's the challenge of the hour that you be big and tall and that this church be big and tall in the very best sense of the way that the shadows cast will be long shadows. I want us to pray. Bow your head, please.
What are you spending for Christmas this year on the family? On toys that'll soon be broken? What'll you be spending for food that'll be almost like a glutton's feast in the midst of a hungry world? How much for the casual greeting to the casual friend when there are people who are lost and damned and dying. Would you ask God to give you a vision of your shadow's length? Dear God, help us to see the world that waits upon our sacrifice and our willingness to, to give, not until it hurts, but until it brings us joy. To give, to give what we would give to others, to give it to Jesus and to let others know that we have honored them in so giving. Dear Lord, I pray for some from this congregation who ought to be on the mission fields in a year or two years or five years from now. I pray that your Holy Spirit will give them the vision of what you want them to do with their lives. And I pray that this church will be sacrificial in the giving of its children and of its youth as well as in the giving of its money. And I pray in Jesus' name. The invitation will be very short, but it can be the most meaningful of your life. For the shadow of the cross has fallen across your life and it is Christ who bids you believe in him. And if you will accept him and his love, he will redeem you, he will forgive you, and his blood will wash you clean. You need to let us pray with you about your decision. The shadow of the appeal has crossed your life, that your life is worth a great deal, and it needs to be in a New Testament church 
And so the doors of this church are open to you to be a part of this family of God. You need to come. Not to linger, not to wait, but immediately to come. There are some of you who need to say to God this morning, I'll go if that's what you want. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll serve you. Husband, wife, hand in hand, arm in arm, with a commitment to the newness to say, we'll try to discover God's will and do it. Come, let us pray with you. The invitation will be short, but it can change your whole destiny. In the decision you make about the direction as well as the length of your shadow. 361, wherever he leads, I'll go. Let's stand and sing. Thank you. Be seated, please.